my name is Candy. Welcome to my first and very exciting new podcast, The Backstage Pass. On this podcast, I will be chatting with individuals from the arts, including cabaret, dancers of all genres, musicians, producers, actors and actresses, and many more. It's so inspirational to hear about the mindset of an artist, going behind the scenes and discovering the unbelievable strength it takes mentally and physically. And I'm hoping that by listening, you can take so much from this and implement certain things into your own lives. I have some truly amazing guests coming on the show. As this is my first podcast, and some of you won't know who I am, I wanted to share with you an introduction to my story. I've done various things over the years, such as business startups, modeling, and even working as a life coach. I'm also a wife and a mummy of two beautiful children. But today I talk about my ballerina story with the Royal Ballet. In my story, I talk about my family support, including my incredibly talented auntie, Karen Paisy, who was a prima ballerina with the Royal Ballet Company. I mention the intense yet amazing career path and the reason I couldn't be a ballerina anymore. And I'm being interviewed by the fabulous John Cross. So John is an eccentric, one-off character who's had an extraordinary life within the world of music, television, and photography. He has worked with thousands of incredible celebrities, from Audrey Hepburn to Dame Edna, and even our future king. He's here today after a decade since we last met to chat to me. So enjoy the first show. Let's go. Tell me about your family support. When did it kick in? Was it right when you were very young or did you have to gain their support? So my family, they have always been a great support, but my mum didn't always want me to be a dancer. I think she knew how difficult it was, but I was just so for it. I think it was just a part of me and it was from generations. My my nan danced, my mum and her two sisters danced mm. as well and were both both also very successful. My auntie was the prima ballerina in the Royal Ballet Company, which was mm, incredible. Wonderful. And she taught me. Mm. Um, first, she was teaching me just um, after school, just, you know, it was a local dancing school that she was teaching me at. But when they began to see my, my, uh, my talent mm. and how it was growing quite rapidly when I decided I wanted to become a ballerina, she started teaching me privately. How old were you at this stage? So I would have been about 11 or 12 when I started to yeah. really, really want it. So she taught me privately. I think I was even skipping lessons at school to do my private lessons, mm. which was pretty bad. But it was like the drama and the PE. I was going off to do my ballet classes mm. because that's what I really wanted to do. But when I was doing my ballet classes, my mum would be sat there, my nan as well, and they would record some of the class and then would play it back for me to notice my mistakes, which is just amazing because they would say to me, <laughs> they would say to me, Candy, they would say, kipper feet. Kipper feet was what, what Karen used to say. And I thought that I was stretching my toes, but then the camera did not lie and I could see. What is kipper feet? So like it events? was just like a fish. Like they just, they just weren't, they, they weren't activating. Yeah, <laughs> So the, so I obviously had to work on that. But if I hadn't have seen it, I don't think I would have taken on those corrections as well. I think when you're when you're young and you're just dancing, you've got all the passion, you just want to dance. So you're not always listening to the constructive criticism, but it's so important in order to progress. Yeah. So this continued. To what point did you then have a chance to do your first important audition was it at the Royal Ballet you said earlier yeah tell me yes. about that process so when I was 14 
I was given the opportunity to audition for the lower school at White Lodge in Richmond Park, which is just mm. every girl's dream, I think. Right. So I I was desperate, absolutely desperate to get in. And I was very, very confident back then. I, I sort of waltzed in with my kipper feet. <laughs> I, just, I, I felt on top of the world. And there was the judge panel that were there and it was all very quiet and intense, but somehow magical because I was in the building mm. that I could see myself dancing in. And we did the audition and we all had a, a number mm. that we had. Um, you know, you couldn't be just, my name was Candy. I was number 12 or whatever number mm. it was. I don't remember. And we did the class and my family were put into another room where Dame Mel Park was playing a recording and saying that um, she was saying that it doesn't matter about technique. If you have the passion to become a ballerina, we can help with the rest. It was something right. to that effect. So they were thinking, oh, Candy would be fine because although the technique is a bit under par, mm. her passion, her drive is there. Yeah. But then... That bubble was completely burst when we were told no. And I say we because it affected all of us of a lot. I was devastated. I, but how did you feel the actual audition went? I thought it went well. This That's was like the when thing. everything you think go well, they don't, don't they? Like yes. School, what, what did they pick up on? What did they um, tell you were the points you needed to improve on? Well, I was very lucky that Karen went and spoke to them directly because she wanted to know what I could work on. And they mentioned that my rotation wasn't, wasn't good for my turnout. Uh, my feet needed improving. My general technique was not to the standard of the 14 year old girls that were in the lower school. Right. And you had to match that. You mm. didn't want to be, I guess it's good in a way, because if I was brought in at 14 and I had a lot of catching up to do, could that have made me regress? Possibly. So they they offered me this senior associates program, mm. which was every other Sunday in London. Mm. And it was the chance for you to improve on your technique alongside, you know, what the girls would have been doing at White Lodge, but doing it just on the weekends. So not as intense, but still mm. pretty amazing. And I was taught by some of the teachers that taught me um, later on yeah. in, in my journey and they were incredible teachers, very, very brutal. And it wasn't until I did my first day there that I realized how much work I had to do. Right. So at home, I would ask my brother to sit on the sofa while I would have my feet under the sofa to get my feet to be more pointy. Oh I would stretch all day long. I would watch videos on Sylvie Guillaume, who was that the principal dancer that I just yeah. wanted to be like and she had her legs right up by her head and I was right. like I had to be like her and I did not stop right and this took how long before you felt confident to reapply it was two years two years but, but they actually suggested that I audition for the upper school mm. which was nice yeah it's good oh gosh how stressful and what was it like when you then did the next audition so, you must have been so nervous. I was. And can you describe just for the listeners, um, I, is this a beautiful building like in the movies and a very austere desk and the distance and famous? I just imagined something quite beautiful. Was it quite, was it just a normal studio? It was beautiful. You would, you would enter mm -hmm. into the upper school and yeah. in the entrance was like a figurine massive of Margot Fontaine. Yes. And she was standing in the classical pose. Yeah. And the rumor has it that if you if you rubbed her little finger, that it would bring you luck. Right. And so I remember <laughs> doing that <It's> <laughs> as much as I can. I think it actually was discolored and the rest of it. Yeah. And we, we were then put into a room where we got to warm up and had our numbers put back on. Mm. And that's when panic set in yeah, because... It was, I think I wanted it even more than I did back then. And it just felt like it was within grasp, you what know. What did you think of, 
to calm you down in that situation. Sometimes it's about visualizing things. What did you do to help with your nerves? You must have been expecting to be very nervous. What were you told to do? I was really good at visualizing how I wanted to dance Mm. and then replicating that. I was really good. It may have not been exact, but I was picturing doing a triple pirouette three turns. I was yeah. I was picturing jumping the highest. I was manifesting, but I was doing it naturally. I didn't know about any of that. I was only 16. Yeah. So that's what I did. And the audition process was brutal, more than the last one. They were cutting people after the bar section. They were then cutting people again after doing the center practice. They were then cutting people again before the point work. Right. I made it so all really the way knocking through. people's confidence. Mm, just and that makes everyone on edge. Why did they feel that's a good result? Because you're not at a stage where you're meant to be professional and performing live. You're there for you to do your very best on that day and show them the standard you've reached. So why did they undermine people like that? What was the reason for that? You know, I don't think it was necessarily undermining. It was that they had so many people auditioning. Right. Okay. It was a massive I mean, what are we talking but about? I think 50? there was more than that. There oh was probably goodness. even 200. Like we had to do everything in sections. Right. It, we, it was it was nuts. So they had to cut people. And they would know by the standard of the work they were doing at the bar if it wasn't quite to the standard. It seems so cutthroat. But I guess it's what you have to do. So what they were doing was seeing um, a, 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 whatever number of girls that could fit into the actual room and then Again, sorry to keep referring to the movies, but they'd then say, um, number 14, leave. Carry was, on. Number two, leave. Mm, oh, my gosh. It was, it was very much like that. And watching her wilt. Oh. <laughs> it was, it How was many boys really actually were auditioning for this? I believe the were boys separate? were separate. Yeah. I don't remember them being in the audition. Sorry, yeah. guys, if you were. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but I don't think so, actually, because we were doing the point work. So I think I think it was just girls. But when we got all the way to the end, I think there was still 50 people. So it, it got whittled down. It got whittled Super, way oh down. Now tell me about, obviously, the, the question, when were you told? Was that day that you got through? No. Or was there a, another oh, audition after that? And that was the thing is we were told, thank you very much for our time and that we will be told by post. Yes, okay. And... It probably only was three to four weeks, but it felt like a lifetime. Oh I, every single morning when I heard the post hit that floor, I was running to the door hoping yeah, that that letter was there. And it started to affect me because I just wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And we all had to wait. We all had to wait. So the letter, when it finally arrived, it was very obvious who it was from. It had the stamp of the Royal Ballet. Now, and it stop was... there. I want you to tell me how you opened that letter. Did you have your mum saying, don't worry, do you... or tell me about the moment. Did you, were you by yourself? When no, you... I was with mum. I think I screeched, it's here, it's here. And oh, then we God. sat tell down exactly together. So we sat down together and we opened it cautiously somehow i'm just imagining just sliding it up bit by bit or did you pass it to your mum yeah we we took it (laughs) out and i couldn't read it no no. so mum opened it but i looked over and i think the first sentence said we are delighted to that was all i read right that was all i read and we were jumping up and down screaming crying and then we sat down to read it again um, and it was obviously like we were offering you a place for September. And it was just, my dream was coming true. It was so emotional. I remember dad came in maybe 20 minutes afterwards. I was going, daddy, daddy, because it felt like a daddy moment. I was yes. like, I got him. And it was, it really was to, at that point, the best day of my life. Yes. I was going to say this, you must have been floating. I was. I was. Wonderful. That's a wonderful story. So, at last, your first day at the Royal Ballet. What was it like? It was, it was amazing. Walking through that building, bringing more luck with Margot Fontaine, you know, Mm. and then going into the studio. And I had met the dancers before. 
I met them in an open day and we got to all meet each other and it was wonderful. But when we went there as dancers, the dynamic was completely different. It was tense. It was quiet. It was really, really hard. Mm. I it, it just, um, you know what it was? I stopped thinking about how great a dancer I was. And I started suddenly comparing myself to them. Mm. Now, I had a really good look for ballet. But when I was looking at the girls who had come up from White Lodge, especially, the the open shoulders, the way they held themselves, Mm. it was different to the way that I was holding myself. I felt suddenly like the local dancing school girl Mm. was now with the elites, Mm. one of 11 in the world. Mm which was incredible. Yeah. But when I got was that there... that how many there were? Just yes. 11 at the end? Oh, my yes. goodness. Yeah. Well yeah. That's it, a hell of an achievement. It was incredible. And I don't know if I knew that until I got there, but it really was... It was immense. But I really... I felt the pressure of that. And comparing myself to the other girls, it made me isolate myself emotionally. Mm. And they did... I don't know if they, they intentionally did this, but I was made, and the other girls who were from the outsiders, we were made to feel a little bit like the outsiders. Mm. And And they show that? They, when I was dancing, they, they sort of looked down at me Mm. a little. How does someone look down? It was like, um, there wasn't chuckling, but I felt like I was being judged. And I remember someone who became a dear friend of mine saying, they weren't always saying nice things. They yeah. were saying that I was the outsider, that I was possibly not the best in the class. Right. And I knew that. Mm. I knew that. So I had a lot of work to do. And mm. the teacher actually said to me, I stood in first position, which if you don't know, that's with the feet pointing yeah. outwards. And I was facing, I was like, right, I'm going to do my absolute best. And then the teacher comes along and says, right, we're going to have to go back to the basics with you. And I was like, wow. oh, okay. so my fear... <laughs> my fear of not being as good was realized. I was like, yeah. oh my God, shit, I'm going to have to do a hell of a lot of work. And I did, you know, I've got an amazing work ethic. So I was re- working really, really hard, but it was difficult for them to see me as one of them, I'd say for the whole first year. Right. So for the whole first year, this you felt the underdog, mm. but you were, living in uh, in-house accommodation, weren't you? Yes. Stuff. What was it like when you felt this feeling of being slightly an outsider? What was your relationships like with any of them? Did you connect? I mean, was it really, did it carry on like that outside or did people eventually open up and prove not to be so? Um... It was weird. In the mornings, mm. it was all tense and, and quiet and people had their rituals of what they would do my my roommate she was waking up before me I'd like I'd wake up and it was still probably 6 a.m and she was already stretching on the floor all right How I was like, wow okay I was like I I need to do more you know and and so so the whole day was was really quite yeah it was stressful mm. but when we got back to the house it was like we were all mates and we, we were cooking dinner and we were talking mm. and we were talking about other things. And yeah. <laughs> a memory that just came back to me. I used to put on Jane Fonda workouts <laughs> <laughs> as extra aerobics of the evening, yeah. which people would join in, but they thought it was hilarious. Oh, my goodness. No wonder I was the outsider. I was yeah, well, weird. I was a bit of a character. Yeah. And I was always the one that was not getting in trouble, but... Um, situations. I was finding myself in situations that were rather <laughs> dodgy. I'll give you an example okay. because I'm, I'm sure any of my mates listening to this will go, oh, I remember that. So there was this massager that was for your calves, for your back or whatever. Yeah. And and I had a really sore derriere yeah. from holding on to my glutes in, in dancing. And so yeah. I was sitting on it and obviously the, the motion, it, it must have looked really funny, but that <laughs> was the moment when the house mother walked in. Right. I remember saying, Candy, it's always you, you know, <laughs> or trying on my friend's wonder bra because I'd not had one yet. Yes. And that's the moment when she walks in again. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think I was definitely coming off as 
the uh, unique character. When did it all sort of ease up and you get your confidence back and felt you were on par with the others? In my second year, I went back with a mission. And that mission was, I'm going to get a job in a ballet company. I stopped thinking about being a part of the Royal Ballet School. And I started to think ahead. Mm. And that changed. And I started to wear point shoes throughout the entire class because I didn't see the point. I, I thought, why wear flats at bar if you're spending most of your career on stage in point shoes? Mm. So I started to just always be on point and just do a little bit extra. And then as time went on, I noticed other girls were starting to do the same. Mm. And I realized I'm a bit of a trendsetter. And then into the third year, that maximized even even more. And I felt like there was some attraction mm. and the director of the Royal Ballet who was Monica Mason at that time she saw me in a choreograph like a choreography um performance mm. that was within the school and I think she was like who is that and wonderful. she and she she pulled me aside and she thanked me for a wonderful performance and that's when everything changed in that the teachers were a little bit more um not bound down to me, but they were like taking notice of you me more. You got recognition more. from Monica, the boss. Yes. Mm, yeah. Amazing. So you're now getting popular. People are listening to you and respecting you. You've got Monica, the boss, under your belt, which is wonderful. What happens next? Um, obviously, you're aiming to get into a company, aren't you? How did you choose that and what happened there? So in the third year, we, we were given advice on all the different companies because we weren't all going to get into the Royal Ballet. So we had to broaden our horizons and look at the different companies all around the world. Mm. So we were making a list of the ones that we might like to go for, but ultimately we wanted to go into either of the two, the two Royal Ballet companies, which is the one in London and the touring company in Birmingham. And so we were all in the proceedings of that. And I remember getting invited to do a class for the Royal Ballet, with the Royal Ballet Company, with the intent to get in. But right. not all of them from the third year class were invited to even do that. So it was like you were already, wow. that that like audition for somewhere else girls, yeah, which, yeah. which must have been really, really difficult. Mm. And we were doing a school performance at the time as well. Uh, of the third years, we get to tour around different places. And we mm. went to Salt Lake City. Right. And I had a few solo roles. Yeah. And we did like a, an open day before we went on tour where the directors came in to watch. Right. And David Bintley from the Birmingham Royal Ballet, he was there. Monica Mason was there. Mm. Lots of people were there coming to see the third year talents to essentially snap us up. Right, I see. Mm. So it was it was difficult. And I had this amazing solo to do. And I remembered I had to run out onto the stage and then go into an attitude, which is onto one leg, as the music started. Right. But my nerves, I went up a, a little count or two earlier. So I had to hold the freaking balance until, <laughs> until the, the music started. <laughs> and I did. And I stayed. And it was just, I remember thinking, nailed it. Nailed <laughs> I was it. really, really happy with how that went and then we went off to do our tour did you get any feedback at that point from not any of them at really all? Did they come up and afterwards and you come up and talk to you and hello who are you and i don't remember david bintley speaking to him i remember him being very smiley and i remember monica patting me on the back but Great. it was on to the tour right. so that's what we did so we we went to salt lake city and it, i can't i think it was like the second to last day a few a few people were called into a room and they came out with letters crying really really happy oh. that they got into the royal ballet company and i was like oh my god my heart sank because you hadn't got i hadn't got the letter and i thought my goodness this is uh, this is it i've not made it and I started to cry and I got a bit emotional. And it was hard because you had people being really sad and then you had people whose lives were about to change forever. And it, mm. was, it, was, in, it was incredibly painful in that moment mm. until <laughs> Kayleen right. Stock 
calls me in and they'd found another envelope. Oh, my God. So <laughs> they said... It's like Simon Cowell. Oh, God. It was, so they, we opened the letter and it was from David Bintley. And he said um, that he wanted to offer me a place in the company. Mm. And one of the things that he loved about me was how I danced like my Auntie Karen. Oh, don't and it was just, oh, <laughs> the tears. Because he, cre- he created mm. a solo on my Auntie Karen. Right. It, and it was beautiful. And she did it. Oh, she was just an amazing dancer. So to get that kind of feedback <laughs> was amazing. But it was pretty much start next week so I didn't have to audition but they were also expecting me to not complete my school year which means you don't officially graduate so I was faced with a dilemma they said to me you can go with this job offer and start on Monday or you know I think it was literally like the following Monday or you do your school performance in London and they're going to decide whether you go to the London company I think they were a little bit on on the fence because I'm I'm not your typical dancer. When we were in the corps de ballet, it was candy, do less, everyone do more. I never quite fitted in. Yeah. But David Bentley obviously saw, well, she could be soloist potential. Right. So yes, I want her. But the Royal Ballet, they wanted me to be in the corps. And you can be in the corps de ballet for quite a few years. Yeah. So I guess I didn't fit in, but I'm really grateful that that happened so I went I'm gonna take the job and off I went and uh yeah that and that's and that is when my career began thank you that's wonderful how exciting so where was this base then so it was based in Birmingham right but because I had to start the following Monday obviously I didn't have an apartment so they put me up in a hotel which was right around the corner from the Birmingham Hippodrome and doing even the first day of company life, it just felt happy, like a family, yeah. and like I belonged. Yes. It was... All that competitiveness has sort of dropped now. Yeah. We're all celebrating together, going, well, let's make this good as a team. Yes. I mean, it was still there because we were obviously, you're, you're there, you're corps de ballet, you then want to climb the ranks, mm. but to have made it... So what what happens? Do you mind me asking? But is is it a well paid job? How, is it self employed? I'm only asking because did you have to worry about um, how you're going to pay the rent being a ballerina, or is everything very you very protected and and looked after? Maybe with in house digs. We actually had a wage. I can't remember exactly how much it was. It was not a massive amount, but the the higher up you went in the ranks, the more that you got mm. paid. And I believe now if you're sponsored by, you know, ballet uh, shoe companies that you're getting paid from that. So, so oh, I right. think being a ballerina today mm. is is tremendous. Mm. But I don't think we had that. I don't even remember. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't any of no, that back of then. Yeah. My goodness, I'm showing my age. Yes, <laughs> so I don't remember how much it was, but I I suddenly had to be careful with money and I had to pay for rent and bills and food. Mm. And I remember the first year having very little left over at the end of the month because I wasn't able to to manage that. And you're not taught that at school. You're, you're not taught how to manage your your money. It's just this is this is your job now. This is how much you get paid. Off you go. One question I want to go back a few years, you know, when you were 14 and rejected at that point. And, I mean, how did you deal with it mentally? How was your mental fitness with all this, taking the knocks? And are you... Is Candy an optimistic person or do you have your low patches? Definitely optimistic. I, I, I'd say it was in the company life where I started to become a little bit rocky with that. But when I was 14, I cried. I was devastated, but it made me want it more. So I where think... did you get your strength from? Was it from your parents? Did you get a lot of support from them? And, and did they always give you, you know, the... the, the the hug, shall we say, that you'll you'll, you'll be all right in the end. They Where did were, you get support? They were so supportive mm. and they believed in me. My Auntie Karen was now believing in me. Everyone yeah. believed that I had something and I just needed to work on my technique. And I think because I was given, and I was very fortunate to be given the exact things I needed to work on mm. and the senior associate program combined, 
I was able to just work on what I needed to work on and turn that no into a yes. And I was bloody determined. Yeah. I was not going down without a fight. Yeah. Well, do you think, can you tell me um, what are the key ingredients to actually be a lady or a guy to get into the um, get into a company? What do you think are the most important qualities you need to have? Oh, that's a good question. So, go, go, yeah, so mm. going in, I never really thought about that you just you just go and you and you dance and that's it but different companies like different things and the Birmingham Royal Ballet I'd say they loved they loved people that could jump high and were really quick, quick on their feet and good at being neoclassical as well touching on the contemporary side because David Bintley with his amazing choreography sometimes it was a bit more neo neoclassical and mm. and doing things slightly differently I did belong there I, I was I was in the right company I felt like when I was starting to to do well in the company and they were offering me solos I I could see why they were giving me the roles and why I was invited to join the company yeah. once you're a professional ballerina what are your hours when you're in the company you have slots for your rehearsal time so you you have your 10 30 class you have your rehearsal times throughout the day but you do have breaks in those days now at the royal ballet school it is sort of nine to five or even eight thirty class and you're finishing at five thirty, and it's back-to-back -back classes with very few breaks in between but company life is so different because you do have all these breaks and it can go one of two ways. You can either become complacent in the company or mm. you can work your ass off. Mm. And I was opting for the latter, you know. Yeah. So I would I would take it upon myself to do exercises before I go to work. Then right. there would be the ballet class. Then there would be rehearsals. Then when there were breaks, there was a Pilates center and there was a gym. You could go on a running machine. There were weights for the guys. There, there's so yeah. much that you can do to maintain your fitness, but it's not mandatory. It's up to you. And I think that's where the true test is. How much do you want this? Because you could just go to class, go to rehearsals, and then go off and do your own thing. But that's not going to work for you. You have to show your dedication and just constantly be there all the time. You, you are so focused on such a narrow thing. Was there any width outside for fitting in a boyfriend or whatever your taste was at the time? <laughs> I did. I did have a boyfriend, but he had to understand that he came second to my ballet career. And at first, that was fine. He would come and watch me in ballet performances and he was really, really supportive. Mm. I'd say, in fact, he was good for me because he loved ballet right. and he understood that I needed to work hard. But the game changed when he moved in with me. He was from Milton Keynes and he mm. moved in with me before getting a job. Right. So then he was struggling to find work. I was feeling the, tr the pressures of that, but also he was becoming more demanding of my time. Mm. You're not, you don't have a rehearsal period now, so you should be with me. Right. And I was having to juggle the two. And I became really, um, I'd say that's, that was the pivotal moment for me in that I stopped being able to be so present in the ballet company because I was essentially being mentally abused by yeah. my partner at the time. That was really, really Gosh, tough. So it went to that level. Goodness. It did. It did. How I mean, selfish. I, 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 did, I did kick him out eventually, but it, mm. was, uh, it was a very, very difficult process and it was not without its trauma. And it affected me, not on stage. On stage, you could escape... You were in your costume, you were in your character, you could break free, you could just be you or, you know, the character's version of you. But when you're in the dance studio, all those breaks in between, I wasn't feeling as motivated. I think yeah. it was hard to because I was so upset and traumatized by what was happening. And the worst thing, mm. which I hope that 
people that are doing this now, but I was not speaking to my fellow colleagues about what was going on. I was staying quiet, mm. isolating myself again, like I was doing in my first year at mm. the Royal Ballet Upper School. So then people weren't trusting, not trusting me as a person, but I was not as reliable because emotionally I was on a bit of a roller coaster mm. from the outside looking in. I was falling. Mm. So that definitely um, puts you off having a partner for a while, unless, of course, rather like doctors and nurses, they have to be in the trade. Do, I mean, did you find, just out of curiosity, did the other ballet dancers um, go out with each other just because they'd understand the lifestyle? Did that actually happen? That did. Uh, quite a Mind few you, of them. A lot of problems as well. <laughs> yes. I, I remember there being a little drama. Uh, I think there was a breakup and... I think almost a complete swap. Oh, right. I, I, like, it's a little crazy, <laughs> but I just remember there was a little drama going on, but I didn't really um, like to be in with the gossip as such. I did keep myself to myself with, with that. And I, I still do. I tend to be the last to know <laughs> everything because I don't like gossip. But in a way, it may have brought me into the group a bit more. You know, all those things was just continuing to isolate myself from people and I I did date casually but never in the ballet company I did like the life outside I do you know what it was I like to have my day in the company and to go home and to be able to talk about my day mm. with someone yeah. and not well you saw how rubbish I danced today or you saw how yeah. well I danced today or just almost you're bringing your homework with you I'd imagine mm. if you were living with a partner who you also dance with all day. Of course, and it's always a, a, a deadly combination to do business with your partner. Yeah, I mean, the, the breakups, it must have been really hard because yeah, if you were a power, couple, like a power couple doing performances together and you were broken up, but you still had to dance together, that must have been rough. Oh, yes. yes. Good politics, good movies. Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> looking to interview a, you know, a, a dancer who'd been through that because I think that topic alone would be a fascinating one. Yes. So when did the fairy tale of being a professional ballet dancer end? When did you leave the company? So I I joined the company in 2002. And in 2007, I walked out the door. Now, okay. I think that the combination of the trauma that I've been through in the breakup, it caused so much of an impact on my emotional state that it also impacted my dancing. Right. And whereas I was manifesting all the good things in previous years, I was manifesting the bad. I would be mm. on stage saying, you're gonna fall. And, I, and then I would fall. Right. I was convincing myself that I wasn't good enough. And that is a very dangerous downward spiral to be on. And even though the ballet mistress tried desperately to help me, I would go in and speak to her a lot she mm. would check in see how I was doing I just could not get on that upward spiral back to where I was it was soul destroying and then I developed stage fright and obviously it's I would... all from the negative relationship you had yes the... it was awful. awful it was awful but it was a really awful relationship mm. I won't go into this in today's right, so podcast but it, it, yeah. it really it, it shook Not me to my very core. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. And I do wish that I'd put relationships on the back burner, like, yeah. you know, and just focused on. But it, it was nice to have a bit of a romance at, yes, the, at the time. But when it went so horribly wrong, and he was um, a drug addict, that's all I will say. Yeah. And, and that was awful, the impact of that itself, the breakup, the way he treated me after that. It was awful. I, I'm going to leave that there. But when I started to go to dancing, to, to the ballet class, and I dreaded going, mm. something was wrong. Right. And then I eventually stopped going. Now, people who I worked with probably thought, oh, she's getting really lazy. But I was suffering in silence. I was afraid of my own abilities. I didn't believe that I was good enough anymore, despite being told, you know, if I was to do something on stage and be told that was really, really great, Candy, I would be hanging on to the compliment, but I would be hanging on for dear life until the next good compliment came. Mm -hmm. I wasn't having that internal satisfaction mm -hmm. of doing something good. 
And that's what led me to leave. I ended up having to go into David Bitney's office and say, I can't do this anymore. And I don't believe even at that point that I said why, but he could see that something was really, really wrong. He would have noticed. The he would have noticed. Yeah, it was awful. But when I walked out of those doors, I felt something that I didn't think I was going to feel. It was relief. Really? It was relief. I thought I was going to walk out of there and go, oh my God, what have I done? I need to go back in there and convince them to take me back. But I felt relief. And that meant that it was the right thing to do at that time. Tell me, what were the ingredients of that relief? I felt like it was literally a weight being lifted off my shoulders. And I think it was a really clear day as well. And I just felt... Like I'd found clarity. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do next. But all I felt was clear. And that I could focus on something else. You must have felt vulnerable. Thinking, what am I going to do next? What do you think you were qualified to do? Because you had such a narrow, focused, highly professional life. There aren't jobs really for choreography people, are there? There's only about one in a company and there's... Well, you tell me, what, what, what did you want to remain in the business or did you think, I'm going to become a pop star? No, I was like, I'm going <laughs> to go the furthest away from dancing right. as possible. And I moved back to Bath. I moved right. in with my parents. I, I didn't see it as going step back. I saw it as a new beginnings, yeah. if you like. And I needed an, an upgrade on my phone. And I went into, I think it's phones for you at yeah. the time. And there was... Uh, a job position and I thought oh, I'm gonna go for that and they they took me on pretty quickly they asked me to sell them a pen and it turns out I was you very good, good at it. selling a pen <laughs> so yeah so I did that for a little while but I I could not stand not being creative so then I thought what if I was to do something that was dance related but not me dancing and I and then it was like magic. The dancing school that I used to dance at in yeah. Bath, the owner asked me to be a teacher at the dancing school. Wonderful. It was like the universe yeah. opened up and said, Candy, there you go. And that go. would be a perfect job, wouldn't it? Mm, I'm oh. amazed. I'm just imagining you in phones for you. <laughs> <laughs> just how, I mean, I have a touch of ADHD, but I can't, I can't be in a place without moving around. You've gone from a lifestyle of chaotic timetables and lots of physicalness to passing um, a phone cover to somebody or a new battery. (laughs) The most difficult thing for me was the fact that I had no voice. As a dancer, it's don't speak unless you're spoken to. I was very quiet. And then suddenly I had to build trust with people that I didn't know. Gosh, what a change. Yes. That was the biggest change. It didn't work for me. I, I loved that. I only did it for a few months and then I resigned. I was just like, I can't, well, I you, can't do it. The fact you took a job there shows me just how open you were to anything. You literally <laughs> just had no snobbery about anything, but wonderful. No. We'll definitely talk about the next stage. So how long were you a dance teacher in Bath and what happened next? So I was a dance teacher for two years and for the first year I loved it and I loved working with the students who didn't have as much confidence as the one standing at the front so I was very much interested in working on the underdogs if you like so I realized then that I loved helping people that was something that was my drive my passion but I didn't pursue it then I I thought because I was surrounded by dancing all the time and I was meeting people on nights out, I was going out, I was having fun. I was living my life. I really loved that time of my life. But then I was getting invites to go out in London and I missed it. Oh, Mm. did I miss it? And I started to want to be in London again. And so I made that journey possible. So I moved back to London. Again, not having anything to do. Right, no job. <laughs> no job. Okay. So it turns out I'm pretty fearless. And I met I met some people who are life coaches. Right. So I started working for this life coaching company and I was styling them, dressing them, but I was also helping them with their anxieties. Now, 
I found this to be really amazing because my downward spiral that I was going through as a ballerina, I could put this to good use. I could help people catch them before they're really, really falling. And I loved it. And it was at that point when I started going to those parties where I met you. So that is where I was in that stage of my life. And from the, off the back of those nights out and living my life, I went to a burlesque show that changed my life. I could not believe how sexy and how talented these women were mm. and the the artistry the telling a story the costumes yes, of course. and I wanted a piece of that by I wanted to go in and do something where I was dancing not necessarily on point but I wanted to I wanted to do what they were doing there's no rules with burlesque so you create no. your own uh you create your own show and style and costume isn't it you you're always independent generally with burlesque, isn't it? It's, you're normally on stage by yourself. Yes. So who did you talk to first? What, what was the environment where you then got the advice to do it? Did you go up to talk to the girls? Did you start thinking without any advice and just watch, just come up with your outfit? I mean, how did you style yourself? So I was really fortunate to know a girl who is going to be on the podcast as well. And she is in the cabaret industry. Mm. And she said, Candy, you know, you did ballet you could do this, Absolutely. you know, you could, yeah. you could do it on point. You can have amazing costumes. And she said, and I can get you in the door. Right. She said, I believe yeah. that you should be doing this. So it was very much handed to me, which Great. I appreciate. But you did actually difficult. have a massive foot up. You know, the, huge, huge. <laughs> I got introduced to a guy who was running a, a cabaret show in King's Cross. Mm. And he was just like, yeah, come on the show. Great. Yeah. What an exciting face. I know. <laughs> so um, who did you, is there any names that we know of, not the Dieter Von te- teasers, but the, who inspired you? Did you um, have any particular people you thought, all right, I'm going to mix that person with this person? And what were those characters? You know, I did actually love Dieter Von Tees. I watched mm. a lot of her videos mm. to get that element of tease because I think you do have to learn that. Mm. I couldn't just be... A burlesque dancer without doing the foundation yeah. i i think that would have gone against me massively so i did watch a lot of vid- videos there was a lady called felicity fuel i think mm. that's how it's pronounced and she had the charisma i've never seen anything like mm. it and i was like okay that is something that i need yeah. to adopt and so i'd be practicing in front of the mirror doing yeah. my little shaking shaking my t- <laughs> mm. <laughs> i was shimmying about and I developed my style. Yeah. I put my performances onto point. Mm. I made them slightly edgy because I realized that I do have this way about me. Mm. And I just went with it. Got to ask you. So um, you obviously practice in front of the mirror, probably in front of your, your friends who you could trust with their feedback. So when did you do your first performance and uh, did it go all right? You know, it wasn't long after I was invited to come along. I think I had to make an outfit in a month and it was around Christmas time and I had to put on rhinestones onto a costume and all of that was just fantastic. Yeah. And the show went really well. It went really, really well. I was invited back a few months later. Great. So it was it was going really, really, really well. So you picked up on other venues. You got you had a video of this, of course. Yes, you would. Have yeah, I got video footage, which if they're lucky, they might show at some <laughs> point. But, but I do have the footage of that. And then I also did a piece for a club um, called Torture Garden, yeah. which was an amazing experience and it was all made out of pvc i dressed myself as a rose and i was taking off the individual petals and i sewed the costume myself Mm. it was an amazing experience i just i i can't i'm so grateful for that period of my life because that is what gave me my confidence that i have today Mm. my my passion was back i had this sparkle about me Mm. that i'd never had before i felt sexy I, you know, I took all of the technique and everything that I've learned from my days of being ballerina and I made it into something that was all glitz and glamour and I loved every second of it. It was very prestigious to play Torture Garden. This is a place which has a minimum of a thousand people, always have fantastic stages. Everyone there 
um, because I was a photographer there for many years, documenting it. And um, they, everyone there is making their own outfits. It's got a wonderful reputation for having wonderful creatives there as well. So you were there in a room of wonderful people, really, um, really edgy creatives and designers, oh, yes. dancers. And of course, it had a, a very sexy edge, but it was a really, I uh, had lots of respect and dignity about it. And people just like walking around, oh. parading and stuff. So it was a wonderful place for you to develop that. And, and well done on getting a gig there because it's a very competitive thing. But that's and, a great thing to do. And it was really, really good because I I still go there. Right. And not not to perform. Mm. Um, I'm, I've stepped away from that now. But I just love the vibe. I love the people. Everybody is open. Everybody is free, and they're embracing their true selves in a very safe place. In a very Where's safe our advert place. For torture guard? There we go. There we go. <laughs> Candy, tell me other things you're interested in doing and how you're developing yourself. I really believe in growth. That you should always be striving for more internal gratification, satisfaction, all of that. And because I love helping people so much, I decided to begin studying in September, which is, mm. you know, when this is being launched and everything, which is also exciting. So I'm studying psychodynamic counseling. Mm. And with that, I'm starting my own business where I'm going to be a counselor for the arts. And it's all going to help, you know, my, my podcast, speaking to people of the arts helping helping them in any way that I can mm. but it's also going to help my career as a counselor when I'm qualified obviously I'm yeah. not qualified yet it's going to be about four years until I am but planting the seed yeah. which is what I really want to do and I can be helping people in the process I can speak to so many incredible people about their journey understanding them their journeys as a dancer as a creative their craft understand what everybody's been going through and of course everyone has a different journey my journey in the ballet company the same year the same school the same experience is going to be completely different to someone else who was in my year mm. it's it's just such an incredible topic to cover and I'm really really excited some very good combinations as well because uh parallel to your studying to be a psychodynamic counselor is the uh, aspect of you learning from people's experiences and doing the podcast so that'd be very enriching yes it will well good luck with that thank you thank you i hope you have enjoyed the first ever episode it was so wonderful to take a walk down memory lane i merely skimmed the surface of my life but i can definitely go into more detail in future shows creating a podcast is a fairly new dream but it's quickly becoming the best and most rewarding thing I've ever done. So please get in touch via email candy.presents.podcast at gmail.com if you want me to go into more detail on anything that I mentioned today, or if you'd like to be a guest on my show and you have a story. So until next time, be fabulous. Be you.